This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah. And this is The Beirut Banyan. For me, it's always a thrill when I reach out to someone and within 30 minutes, we're recording. And you are the person I really wanted to speak to. And I'll explain why I reached out to you specifically. Uh, I don't have LBC. I'm in New York. I don't have the subscription to watch all the Lebanese stations. And YouTube restricts all those live streams, so I can't really... I can't watch it live. And I just haven't paid money for any subscription for the Lebanese stations. So I'm pretty much stuck. What I do instead is rely on people <laughs> commenting on what's happening in Lebanon. And I think they're doing exactly what I'd be doing, watching an interview and just sort of tweeting their, their emotions about what they're seeing. And I saw a bunch of tweets going out uh, re related to the interview on LBC tonight with Alain Bifani and uh, I think I just sort of stayed on your on your feed and just sort of got sucked into your emotions and they resonated with me <laughs> so with that said I, I wanted to see if we could maybe exchange a few ideas or even just thoughts on what we're seeing right now and I deliberately did not ask you any questions in advance I did not want to set it up too structurally I just want this to be a give-and-take but let me start first by saying um, you're allowed to say any outrageous things you want because, as you noted, the Dalai Lama is looking over you. <laughs> so <laughs> I will not hit the censorship button for this episode. I'll just put the Dalai Lama's face every time you say something <laughs> a bit too crazy. But Walid, can I ask you just your own immediate feelings about the resignation? This is not the first public resignation. Uh, someone we've both sort of interacted with, uh, Henri Shaul, it's last week. Yesterday is a, maybe a bit more of a, maybe it's a larger, more symbolic resignation. Someone that's been in the Ministry of Finance as a director for 20 years. But, you know, it's almost like a split screen. You have his interview, and then you have the streets of Beirut burning, roadblocks. Uh, it, it, to me, it's not, nothing looks good at the moment. Everything looks bad. Is that the sentiment you feel, or do you still have any hope? And what is your immediate reaction? And let's let's limit it really to the last 24 hours. The lira reaching 9,000 or around there. Public resignation out of frustration, and the streets blocked. People protesting, and a very dismal, bleak economic situation. So. And I'm sorry to start uh, off with such a heavy, heavy yeah, uh, introduction, no, but I mean, it's a heavy moment and I really wanted to hear yeah, what you think. It's a heavy moment, but I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's either uh, we reach the bottom 
or we're still in, in, in not not going to be making progress. So it's an unfortunate situation where our hope is that we reach the bottom because it doesn't seem to be uh, that there is any other way out of this. So uh, yes, it's it's very bleak in the last uh, 24 hours, and I could feel it among my friends uh, like you and many others. Uh, and really a, a sort of a feeling of desperation. If there's a boat ready, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a 1982 moment where everybody should go. And, uh, and I, you, you know, you, you could feel the desperation on, on either parents or uh, children. And they could now, I think it's, it's sort of sinking that, we are where we are, suddenly it's, it sank in people's mind. Uh, and two images have uh, shocked me in the last 24 hours is the image of the weekend Batroon beach party yeah. where we could, uh, we could say, oh my God, what are these guys doing? And at the same time, at the same moment, in the same country, you have a group of Hezbollah supporters feeling threatened because their weapons are in question, because whatever is in question, their value system is in, is being threatened. So they hear from their leadership and, you know, the brainwashing leadership. In the same country, those two images are, are quite shocking. But then you think about it, and you and my, my wife is Polish, and, you know, Poland, they've gone through a lot as well. You know, they had the Pope. And I always ask her questions, what happened at that time? How did you get out of it? Was it all the Pope's miracle or, you know, what did Lech Walesa do, etc.? So there's a lot of we can learn from, from, from this. So, and she was commenting on, on, on the beach party in Batuan, and she knows Lebanon because mm -hmm. we lived in Lebanon together. And she said, actually, it seems like they, they fellas, they decided they want to sink and everybody should sink. And let's go all, let's go all the way. Maybe by us going crazy like this, the whole boat will sink, and therefore the leadership, the, those oligarchs, will basically sink with us, and then something will will be reborn out of that. Uh, I would call it a descent in style, you know, in descent on, uh, you know, some crazy thought like this. But these are the things that I've, I have interacted with a lot. And I think behind it is a huge desperation. Is I talk to people who are in Paris, Dide, uh, my former driver who was, uh, who was going to be thrown out because uh, he can't afford the rent anymore. His guy is uh, sending him notices. And who is basically lost and he follows uh, some, some guy who goes to the Hirak sometimes. Because everybody's lost, they don't know what to do. Uh, so, and then they get beaten up by by people from Khanda. It's like a total uh, dis disorganized uh, uh, desperation. Uh, and we are here today. This this the last 24 hours. This image now it became very clear that the boat is the ship is sink, sinking, and there's some you know either something will happen or or it will just blow up. I'm glad you mentioned 1980s and you specifically said 1982 
I'm, I'm too young to have any memory of 1982. My first memory of, of Lebanon is maybe 1985. As a young boy visiting Tripoli during the Civil War. And I, I'm glad you mentioned that, that stretch. For me, that's what I saw, and I'm, I'm not in Beirut right now, but just sort of watching and, and hearing, like you, interacting with people there. These long stretches of no electricity, this it's almost uh, an adjustment to despair. It's almost like there's no way out. And that 1980s sort of, it's going to be a long time before things get better. And you mentioned before we started recording that you returned to Lebanon for two years recently, but before then you left in the 1980s. So your your memory of Lebanon, your aside from that recent stretch, is the worst years of Lebanese history. What you're seeing right now, does it remind you of that stretch? Or, or do you see it as a different era altogether? And what I mean by that is, I look back on those initial memories of Tripoli in the 1980s, violence is always there, whether it's a car bombing, whether it's the sound of gunshots, whether it's a checkpoint that's blown up, and real war, division, you could not reach Beirut, you'd have to travel through Damascus. To me, that's sort of the more pressing memory. But aside from that, almost everything else lines up. Hyperinflation, I remember, I remember carrying 50 lira notes to go buy something, whatever it was, pampa or whatever was in the supermarket, and then suddenly having to carry a bulk of 50 notes and hundreds and 250s. This is before the 500 came out. So I do remember that stack, that wad of lira, and that is becoming a similar sort of situation right now. So is there a direct connection or, or do you still think of them as different chapters in Lebanese history? So if, if you p interview people from my generation, I'm born in 68, and you can hear that there was today on, on Twitter, there was this lady in the uh, supermarket who interjected with the minister, or yeah, oh, the minister, mm -hmm. so she, I don't know what took this minister to go and check on the supermarkets, and this lady recognized her, and, and she was extremely angry and uh, and and desperate and 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 uh, depressed and she expressed her feeling and she said we live through this our children are gonna live through this so your questions the way i take it which is i am a parent today and i yeah. i look at our children i mean we've we've gone through this now we are repeating the same thing and right. so there is a huge blame awakening blame to the uh, political uh, establishment what have you done with us again to our children we left we came back or we didn't leave we stuck we rebuilt we reinvested we grew children and here we are again and so now this is anger and this anger you will feel it with people of my generation probably mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. The youth, the youth is lost at the moment, or they, they just don't know what's going on. They're frustrated and angry. Or they're too young. They don't really remember the worst years, which might, it has its benefits. But, but sorry, I interrupted you. I interrupted you. Oh. 
Yeah, no, no, it's, uh, it is, that was my point, that uh, of our generation, we feel it the same, like it's connected. Where we are today is that we are paying the price of not having uh, made peace uh, like the Cambodians did after the Khmer, Red Khmer, uh, uh, you know, uh, war and civil war in Cambodia. They actually had a big conference. They decided to trial the war criminals and there was a national reconciliation. We haven't done it. They decided to give an amnesty. In fact, they in, in, installed these guys in, uh, in government. We, instead of putting them in jail and hanging them, we decided to use them as ministers. Let me ask you, so Willie, of course here. but I'm curious about a few things here. And uh, you're mentioning a few things that, that resonate with me. And the first thing you said is reconciliation. I did an episode yesterday talking about public health and the topic of reconciliation entered the conversation. A public health researcher admitting in a way and very eloquently that reform requires reconciliation. It may be almost impossible to reform without dealing with that structural problem. You're mentioning Cambodia and then you're mentioning as well earlier that your wife is Polish and you're talking about the 1980s and the solidarity movement there. So there's a lot of there's a lot of work that was done in order to transition those countries. Poland, I'm not too intimate with, but I do know that Poland today is a fundamentally different country than it was 30 years ago. Most ways for the better, maybe in some ways struggling, but the larger picture is Poland emerged from its previous regime into something that seems to work better for the average Polish citizen, keeping it very basic here. Cambodia is a subject I don't know much about either, but I do know that people do not think of Cambodia as a as a troubled country the way Lebanon is right now. Even Cambodia has found a way forward. And the, I mean, examples go on. You have former Yugoslavia countries, yeah. Northern Ireland, Colombia seems to be moving in a better direction. We're not. Now, I want to ask you in that in that giant sort of uh, sphere of topics. Are you? I mean, you said that 1980s. Certain things did not happen, which are stuck with us right now. And you said we didn't make peace. I, I didn't know what exactly what you meant by that. Is it is it that we didn't make peace with each other, properly, or is it that we didn't make peace in the neighborhood? What what is that exactly to you? And is there a specific example within that that you could say that is a that is part of the war legacy and that has somehow impacted the financial well-being of the average Lebanese citizen? In other words, it may not be the primary reason we're sinking, but it has contributed and therefore it's a structural problem. Just what you meant by peace and if we can actually dissect it a bit, what would you have preferred seeing in the 1980s? that you didn't see happen? Uh, okay, let me address first the, the issue of, of peace after the civil war. A yeah. civil war is a, is a, is a, a very traumatic uh, experience. And when I meant, when I said peace, it means, it meant peace with ourselves and, uh, and finding peace and maintaining peace would have meant eliminating the root causes of the problem which is sectarianism okay so that is that is the yes, pressing there will no, never be any peace 
when you have sectarianism where religion has a, any a role to play in the uh, popular conscience as if it's it's a life of or death situation there's not you can't build any nation on religion uh, it can be part of uh, the community's uh, traditions etc so the fact that we kept the system or we, they tried to change it but they didn't want to change it uh, and the, the explanations to why they didn't want to change the system is primarily the will, the predetermined will to maintain a weak central state so that they can, uh, uh, they can, they can basically abuse their position using this sectarian organization to disrupt a normal democratic process. Uh, and that's what happened or what didn't happen. So, you know, when we say uh, it's and, and then we go back to the National Pact in 1943, we go back to uh, that that sort of uh, uh, agreed agreed uh, deal between a few families and and basically saying, you know, let's 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 have a, a an impression that we have a state but we we don't want really a very strong state because we want to stay influential here we want to still keep everything for ourselves so that's what i meant and and i think this is why we are still here for me what we are living today is is actually unique in history i think we have we have just returned to 1910 <laughs> yes it but, sounds shocking <laughs> This, so we're, we, we're, we're in for a very diffi difficult decade. We, no, not necessarily. In fact, 1910 was, was a very good time. 1910? Was it? Oh, oh. So we're talking, we're, we're going to ignore World War I in that sense. Just focusing yes. on, on the, okay, okay. Before World War I, we had a period where the, the, there was a, a big industrial strikes, industrial uh, movement because of the tramway, the train, some, the international uh, corporations had wanted to basically take control of the port and, uh, and, and by way of design, the, the Lebanese managed to say, if you can take the port, but we will not get the traders to trade with the port. So uh, the port should stay among ourselves. And basically there was an attempt to to take over the port and and the people and the workers of the port authority the company uh, uh, you know the the company of of the port of beirut which was at that time french i think they they basically revolted they went on strike etc etc and all that led to a sort of a national uh, beginning of a in, uh, nationally controlled assets and, and infrastructure today we're talking about trains at that time they were building the train between Damascus and Beirut, it is a period where Lebanese actually uh, said their word, and uh, and then suddenly other things happened. The World War One happened, uh, and and obviously they came very hard on the Lebanese who were trying to voice their opposition after that, the Turks, etc. But you know, it is we are back because we have had a a very interesting lucky ride uh, after since independence having money flowing in 
And I call it, I'm an oil and gas person because I, I that's my, my day-to-day work. If you want, I'm, I work for a group that's investing in oil and gas properties and I'm an engineer. But the, uh, uh, I call it the, the diaspora curse instead of the oil curse. The diaspora <laughs> curse is, is basically when you have a very a free flow of money yeah. without an economy behind it. So we're totally dependent on it. So obviously the government uh, tend to basically ignore uh, governance principles, etc., and and goes on on uh, on spending like they have been spending. So we we and it start it started with the money from the Palestinians, and it was something else, and you know, uh, and finally we had this fantastic magician that was installed at the central bank governorship, who who managed to play the market well but unfortunately the money most of the money was coming from other Lebanese it's not like he, he brought some money from out of space it was a, a dangerous uh, process and you could feel something was not ra- right so now all is gone so if all this is gone maybe then now we can we can go back to 19 take it back from 19 and 10 kick off the national pact redo a new uh, a new country on on better basis, but that requires national dialogue, stakeholder discussions, recognizing where we are. But that it cannot happen before removing those in power today from where they are. Let me ask you a few questions here, because a lot has been said, and I some of it resonates with me, and some doesn't. And I want to maybe I want to pick your brain on a few things in particular. Let's go to sectarianism. I'm not a fan. Uh, I'm not particularly fond of this old way of power sharing. I can appreciate the positive components within it, that it maybe, maybe gave Lebanon an unusual form of pluralism that the neighborhood lost. That's definitely something that stands out, and I think that is worth celebrating. But the rest of the story is not very impressive. But that said, you grew up in the 1960s. Uh, my parents' generation, they grew up in 1950s, 1960s. They talk about a fundamentally different country. But that country was a sectarian country. That country had quotas. It tilted maybe a little more to the Christian side until the end of the Civil War. But regardless, it was a. It was the same uh, working relationship, if you will, among, and you said, yeah. You said 1940s certain families. Over time, it really did yeah. become communities. And whether or not their leadership was up to par is a different story. Yeah. But, but they, they reflect on a country that, that seemed to function. And I want to start there before we get to the other issues. They're, they're as important. Is there anything to the argument that sectarianism is not the root cause? And here I'm, I'm really just sort of interested in your... In your feedback here, that Lebanon may not have the best model in town, uh, but the religious stuff, the religious power sharing, is not the root cause of all evils in Lebanon. And the reason no. I'm a- the reason I'm asking you is because if that's the case, Lebanon should have always been sliding into some sort of form of hell, even in its better years. 1950s should have had a similar sort of problem, 1960s. 
And there were small chapters of violence in every decade in modern Lebanese history. There was a minor civil war in the 1950s, 1958. The 1960s were rocky. The 1970s, we saw the whole thing fall. But even then, there were good years, and they seemed to work. So I'm just curious. This is maybe just a healthy exchange on, on whether or not this is the root cause of all evils, at, at least in terms of what we're seeing right now. So it's not sectarianism. Let me uh, repeat, uh, go back to what I said before. It is really the systematic weakening of the central state by any means. Mm. And of course, one of those means is to say, you know what, we need to have a system where, where, where uh, uh, religion is, is uh, and, and, uh, and local atta attachment to certain factions or religious uh, rights, groups, etc., is, is what we need here to function. But that was in order to maintain a grip on the people. Right. So it might be that during the past 50 years, there was an impression that things are not so bad. I mean, removing the period of this uh, civil war. But actually, besides the period of the Shihab, uh, you know, the anomaly uh, the, window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing was functioning, and the people were were not they living in a they're not benefiting from a uh, a proper functioning state, and and there was only a very small minority that kept going. These the same people who actually organized the, the same group of families that uh, divided it at that time. Today you find them as bankers or as deputies, etc. You have some new deputies and. But you go back to the uh, social structure and capitalism structure of, of Lebanon, nothing much has changed. Uh, you know, and that's what, why, why some groups now are calling for a radical sort, sort of a socialist orientation as yeah. to, you know, yeah. we, we need to change that. Right. We need to go back. And, and that is a, a trap because it's not, nor, it's not e either about taking uh, from from and redistributing wealth it's about deciding what we want from this country it's not what we don't want you know the the two negations don't add up to a nation etc who we are what do we want my my polish wife in poland you mentioned that the reason why it worked is because they knew they know very well the polish people who they are and and what they are about uh, and they might disagree on certain things, but they know that Russia is a threat. They know that uh, they can, they need to have self-autonomy in food and uh, and security for. Uh, they have learned the hard way. They were invaded by the Swedes. They were, were invaded by uh, the the, uh, the the Germans, uh, uh, the the Germans, but also the Ottomans, yeah. or they had some wars before. So. The the building of a national identity, we didn't have that. It was hijacked. And okay. it was hijacked since many, many years, okay. way before. But that's actually very interesting. So I, let's, I'm going to pause that because that's that's a very important component. The sort of what, what exactly would be a social pact today in Lebanon? But before getting there, the other issue, which I really enjoyed, you, you brought it up, and I'm a fan of it, actually dedicated a few episodes to it, public transportation in Lebanon. Uh, I think it was the second episode I released 
last year, earlier, uh, was only about the rail network. And that discussion touched on, this is pre-French mandate, uh, I think even an Austrian company helped design the, sort of the one of the more complicated uh, inclination rail lines in, in the mountains. So that's, I mean, it's... That was the rail line I was talking about. Okay, yeah, so that's, and that's yeah. in the late 1800s. That's a long yes. time ago. You mentioned the tram network that we were really ahead of the time back then, and now we don't even, it's impossible to imagine it. But that's under, yeah. that's under Ottoman sort of rule, and that's autonomous Lebanon, that's Mutasarrafi, that's Vilayet, Beirut. It's a very different layered arrangement. Is that what you're talking about, at least when throwing it to today, that you have layers of governance and accountability, therefore, can exist? Because I'm, I'm curious. No. Okay, so let, okay, just one yeah. more thing. One more thing. Why was 1910 in that case? Why was 1910 yeah. a success story and 2020 a failure? If it's not the form yeah. of governance, well, what is it? Not yet. What I meant by 1910 was not the form of governance. Uh, government. It was because the biggest question today, Ronnie, is how long? How much more can the people? accept and i ask myself this question every day now for how much more can they take it tolerate it and then i go back well what happened before the famine in in lebanon at that time or what happened during those early days and i was reading and recently i i basically came on to a book that talks about that that period and i was surprised to see that actually lebanese uh, stood for their rights in the port of Beirut from being controlled uh, and being leased to a foreign uh, uh, foreign uh, company. And today we're talking about China and going east and all this money, but actually China would probably be coming with a similar deal. Here's the money. We need a 99 years license on the port of Beirut or something like that. So what I'm saying and referring to is that I have faith faith in the people that uh, if uh, a push comes to shove, uh, they will awaken, they will rebel. So 1910 is, that, is a good thing in terms of the way the population handled. It's an industrial movement and industrial action uh, by the population, workers, etc but also in conspiracy or complicity with uh, the trading families in Lebanon, because they didn't want to have the, that port taken over by some foreign company. So there was a, 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 a concours de circonstances that brought them together, and together basically they got rid of, of that, and uh, the, basically they created a local, locally funded, locally capitalized, infrastructure at that time okay so we, before we get to the social pact issue which is very important there's one other thing you said which is the diaspora what else can help lebanon right now and i'm asking you this because and i know we're, we're kind of zigzagging across time but maybe it's it's relevant if the diaspora was two things a lifeline and in a way a very important lifeline that matured over time especially during the civil war and the years later, it was all about remittances. It was all about diaspora giving a hand. 
that dried up in the last decade. It doesn't seem like the IMF, I, mean, I don't want to be too pessimistic, but maybe it is time to be too pessimistic. It, do, it doesn't seem like this deal will happen. It might, it might, it might happen under a different arrangement later, but at least in the near future, it seems rather bleak. What else is there? And I'm not trying to echo the prime minister's call to bring dollar with you in your whatever, in your suitcase with you to the airport. I'm not, I don't mean it in that sense. I mean it in what else at this point, even if it is a curse over time in history, what else can help alleviate the mess that we're in? I, and I ask you because I don't, I cannot see any other form of relief, at least for the time being. We have enormous potential. If you get get us rid of this plethora that is sitting uh, on our heads since 80 years, those those guys, if we get rid of them, and uh, I'm I'm calling for a now I'm calling for a march. I think we need to walk peacefully. I wish I was in Lebanon. I'm a little bit stuck now, and uh, I don't know when I can go back. Me too. But Me too. <laughs> if if we were if we can walk peacefully with no sound, you know, a deafening silence, uh, joined uh, along the way all the way from Akkar, coming from Naura up converging on the Parliament Square and along the way people joining in Junier, joining and and marching and not saying a word, maybe all dressed up in white or something that is basically uh, gives it a, 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 you know, a decor, decorum. It only takes uh, that for us to to get to a point where maybe we can get rid of them. If we get rid of them and these, this parliament resigns, uh, I can tell you, I have no doubt that what will comes, what will come after that, if if really uh, the people take over, is is enormous prosperity that can be coming in 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 very quick, very quickly. How? Because we still have a lot of friends, uh, because we have a lot of resources. We have the diaspora. The only thing they want is to regain trust. Nobody's going to be giving any money uh, just like that anymore. Yeah, that's true. So trust is is the only thing we need to reestablish. If we have the trust, we have everything else. We have the brain, we have the money, we've got the ideas. It's it's really, uh, it, it might be uh, wishful thinking, but I think with the resources that we have, in terms of information technology, in, in terms of uh, the, the economic model that we, I could imagine what can what economic model can Lebanon have to jump up to uh, not just one level up, but three, four levels up at once, if we have the right thing. And one country that I studied and I lived in for a, for a couple of years is Singapore. Hmm. Singapore in 1947, was thrown out in 1949. The Malaysians didn't want of them. It was a fishing port uh, of the Brits. The British left. They didn't. Uh, the Malaysians didn't want of them. They told them, you know, go and get uh, get yourself a country. Do what you have to do. <laughs> and look what they are today. They, it was just a port. It's a it's a 600 square kilometer uh, island. Okay, but 
I'm Singapore aside, I'm curious though, because let's use that analogy. Let's say a population that's capable, and that's the common thread. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of trained individuals, a lot of experts in any field. I find a very talented pool in Lebanon and outside, Lebanese across the world that are capable. There's no question about that. More than capable. They will exceed if they're given that kind of authority. But then I, I you're in your description of the country converging and dislodging the current lineup in the parliament. In the background is the social pact. And something I think you eloquently said is needs to change, needs to be updated. It's time. It needs to be created. Well said. You don't have created. one. But then, then I'm, I'm not putting any burden on any, this is not particular individuals or communities or anything like that. Just that kind of march in silence. And I, I'm imagining a Poland 1989 situation, a sort of turning the, cha turning the page, really, and starting something new. It's hard for me to imagine a consensus on what that social pact would look like. And I ask you this because this, th this way of yearning for something that works, I think is pretty much, that's the only common thread. Civil state, secular ideal, confessional, consociational, democracy, whatever you want to call it. I, I can't see individuals, groups, communities, whatever, seeing eye to eye on the common goal. Now, it doesn't mean that the common goal is not there. It doesn't mean that it should be there. I'm just curious of the, that image of silence and people dressed in white and all seem to want to get rid of this, this lineup. Put a new group in. Does it, does it solve the problem? I I, so, I I can't see that. To me, I, I would see it as a continuation. So to get to be able to uh, to succeed in, in a march like this, you need preparation, obviously. Uh, and 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 in fact, it goes back to the issue of national dialogue and peace, and national reconciliation. So uh, we are not talking with each other properly because nobody's allowing them to talk. They're keeping us in all corners, etc. Uh, I had a few exchanges with people from supporters of Hezbollah on the, uh, you know, on, on the uh, Twitter, trying to understand, you know, forget about your weapons, forget about all that. How about the economy? What are we going to do? What about schools? September's coming, etc. And it's interesting to see that they are all, we're all, you know, most of the youth are brainwashed by their own leaders. The Aonists are brainwashed, the other guys are, but they don't have solutions. Their leaders are not giving them solutions to what's happening to them today. In fact, they are the cause of what's happening. So, But the youth they, are brainwashed? Somebody needs to, sorry? You would say the, the youth, to me, the youth seem to be the least brainwashed in, in the Lebanese no, story right in now. fact, you, you, a lot of these people are quite young interacting today. Maybe they're born in the 80s, early 80s. Oh. For me, it's still you. <laughs> I see. Okay. <laughs> so, you're, you're Good. Generation. I'm young. Anyway. Yes, I'll take it. Good. Thank you. Yes, yes, the youth. So, the 40-year-old youth. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, I, I find that there is a lot of uh, uh, lack of information. When you come to talk about 
what the nerds are talking about, you know, what is so obvious for a nerd, it's not obvious at all for them. And that is what's missing. That is what is missing. Nobody is reaching out deep uh, to do a grass work, grassroots work of explanation and convincing. Is that a precondition for you before getting to parliament that you need to have that discussion from the start and then parliament should be the final culmination or is, or is parliament first in, in that, well, in that I, I situation? Wish, I, I wish we could get to the parliament and get rid of these guys tomorrow or yesterday. The problem is that uh, it's, it's maybe just wishful thinking, but it, it might, might still work. Who knows? Who knows? Hmm. Uh, so for me, the priority is definitely to, uh, to remove the current political establishment. Uh, and by peace, peaceful ways, uh, absolutely peaceful ways. It, it's stupid to go and uh, close road and, and fight and express your anger. All that energy needs to be channeled in one direction to remove the root cause of why we are here, which is the political establishment, the same one that has been going on for so many years. That is where we could start. But Assume we, you know, they resign, all of them, tomorrow. Yeah. What's going to be happening? Then you need to have a, uh, a transitional, uh, it's like a post-revolutionary country. You need to have a, uh, a sort of a transitional par parliament or, or, uh, or establishment that will lead to elections and yeah. uh, will generate a new, uh, and it will have to debate on a political and an electoral system, electoral uh, refoundation of uh, how do we elect people so there's a lot to do because we haven't done it we have been living in something that is not a real state uh, of a republic based on some uh, very uh, very uh, uh, deep uh, you know there's no it's just a form a shape but it has no soul and so that soul searching is what is required today, and that takes time. But unfortunately, it's not possible while they are here. But what I can assure you is that if they are removed and there is some temporary uh, government that is formed that will uh, have a, a, the task to rebuild an economy, that process can go in parallel with a real, uh, I would say, uh, constitutional uh, debate on yeah. what do we want. I just found out that actually in the constitution of 1926, there was a Senate that then was yeah, scrapped in 1943. Yes. So this has to be done. It can go in parallel with, with, with a, a new direction toward uh, fixing the economy, fixing the, which is, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a structural thing, but there are solutions to it that they are now trying to pre prevent. They don't want these to be done. You know, but even the Senate, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, and Ta'if, there's a recommendation for it as well. Yes, so it's, it's, of course. It's but all... they don't want to do it. Yeah. Because then you strengthen the central state. If you put the Senate and you remove sectarianism from the lower chamber, uh, you, you basically are injecting a huge infusion of, of blood and oxygen into the democracy. And therefore, uh, the partisanship and the, uh, the the way that uh, parties are, are formed 
suddenly are disconnected from the uh, the, the the chains of of uh, sectarianism that are chaining us together. And you can run elections without this, and they lose control. If they lose control, they can't guarantee their future cash flow of that uh, shape of, of, of a, you know, skeleton of a republic that they are making us live in. You know, I mean, in, in many conversations I've had that, that dance around this issue, I think it's the first time I've heard someone refer to 1910. And I'm glad you said that. And it's, it's interesting that any conversation on what we're seeing right now, we talk about something on TV or a discussion on the side in 2020, within a few minutes, we're talking about the early 20th century. <laughs> so it's really, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a uniquely Lebanese issue that any conversation takes you back in time and sometimes takes you way back in time. But I want to bring it back just for a moment to what we're seeing right now. And that, in, in the goals that you want to see materialize and your personal aspirations for that kind of transition, it's something that is, I think, shared among many Lebanese wanting to, wanting to start anew. But right now, these sort of, maybe they're just symbolic, but these public uh, admissions of we can't fix what we have. And it could be literally the uh, zeroing in on the last two resignations. One person helping negotiate between the IMF and the Ministry of Finance. And then today, the director of the Ministry of Finance, serving 20 years, says, I'm, I'd like to resign. I don't think it's been officially accepted yet. But regardless, he's, he's, at, he's gone on TV, he's gone on the record saying, I submitted my resignation. Is that a step in the right direction for and i mean it in terms of is there almost a uh, an acknowledgement from within that things are not working and therefore we have to start something we have we have to turn completely in a different direction or is this really just a sideshow at the end of the day it's just the state preserving itself in a, in a way that we haven't seen before those that are not up to those that are not willing to ride out the storm are stepping out, but the state itself seems to be so so entrenched and so stubborn, if you will, and so unwilling to budge that, in a way, the aspirations you're describing we we may not see them. We may actually lose this opportunity. Where where 2019 is not the revolution that we all thought it was. So, yeah, the revolution hasn't happened yet, uh, but uh, I, I do believe that it will happen because I don't think uh, uh, a whole population that has decency, that has, uh, will accept what is going to come to, to, to it. Uh, it might be violence, I hope not, mm. but uh, uh, something is going to, to be happening. Now, to go back to your questions of the resignation, uh, I would say that uh, I wouldn't uh, put on the same level the resignation of Henri Shaul uh, from an advisory role mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to the to the bomb that has just happened now with the resignation of Alain Bifani. Uh, Alain was the director general of the Ministry of Finance, and I know Alain. I met him mm. uh, several times, and I remember. Uh, a couple of years ago, when I was in Beirut, uh, just when I arrived two years ago, we had dinner somewhere with a friend who organized.
scientists and there was other other people and at that time he was already frustrated and he wanted to go uh, now he's not an easy character uh, many people complain about from from the banking community or others, uh, he was doing his best, uh, uh, and he had a certain um, you know uh, idea of, of of serving as a civil servant. You know he's a politician. He's not just anybody. So uh, Allah did want to go before, but I think that he, like many, maybe uh, still had hope that you know this uh, free patriotic movement we are gonna come and fix things etc uh, he was seduced by them and i think the people say i yeah, he was too close to, to the uh, you know the, the own crowd etc uh, i think he had hope and he was trying to bring back this you know finally he got rid of the the former uh, finance ministers that were all from the same side and they all wanted to spend without counting and, and he, he talked about it at some point but here he said you know I'm, I'm gonna live with this previous finance minister uh, that's fine but as I as I understand it there is a president there is there is some big big thing happening that will probably do uh, hopefully will, will make things uh, but when you say it's a that kind of big, big event, much, much bigger than a, an advisor's yeah. resignation, is it a big event in the direction of transition, or is it really the state, well, the state sort of entrenching? There's the, 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 the Lebanon before Allah Bifani's resignation is 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 something, and after his resignation, something else. Not because oh, you you put it at that at that level of yeah, a because because now they are exposed. You know, and every day you can see they are more and more exposed in a much bigger fashion. I mean, two days ago on the weekend, you had a judge, a nobody judge who decided to go and, and indict, uh, you know, the a American, U.S. ambassador. Yeah. This is, un, you know, unprecedented. So they are now uh, improvising. I, I know you're and, not, I know you're not Alambi fan. I know that. And I'm, I'm just going to maybe get, if you can gauge a bit here. And I'm going to ask you about what you said. Who is he exposing exactly? I watched that interview. It seemed like a very cautious sort of uh, the usual. There's players at hand, and I'm not. I can't really address them directly. And he's I was not the kind of guy who will who will basically so start throwing names, etc. But it's it's yeah. very clearly he he jeté les ponts. He 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 cannot serve anymore in this republic because it's not a, a republic he he reached a conclusion which many of us have already reached uh, way back uh, why he stayed until now i call it a little bit controversial but at the same time uh, courageous you know somebody who is still uh, trying to hold this thing together while the print machine is going in the central bank, while those guys were calling for uh, uh, send me the money any anytime I need, and you don't ask me questions, it must have been something for him to. So, I I hope one day we will have a new parliament and a hearing, and he will be called to come and talk and tell us uh, in much more detail, uh, by, and being interrogated by a real panel, a parliamentary panel because I don't think he's done anything legally wrong on the contrary. Uh, but 
in fact, he really served as to the best he can, but he served a rotten republic. So that's what and he's he's exp whole, he's exposing not necessarily a person or persons or or whatever. No, he's exposing. The whole system, and he said it. Right. The, he the, said it. Yeah. But yeah. can I, but I'll just wrap it up with that that issue that if he's exposing and just saying, look, the way the way it doesn't work no longer works. Right. Ad admitting that the thing the whole thing is rotten. Is that a step forward for you in in getting all the things you're talking about? which is, in a way, justice for Lebanon, that the Lebanese can hold their leaders to account, that you can have that kind of new relationship with governing authorities in Lebanon. Is that is that a step in the right direction? Or is it really just showing how strong this way of governing is, that it can ride out resignations, it can ride out hyperinflation, it can ride out possibly starvation and hunger and... Yeah. I mean, the worst, the worst images that we thought would not be possible today in Lebanon—they're they're happening. So, is is that is that the beginning, so to speak, of this revolution, or is it is it something else? By him going, you have a smart guy who was uh, working, uh, uh, you know, uh, in in consciously to try to solve. Uh, big big problems for this for this establishment. Now he's he's done, and uh, they, they, who's going to replace him? Uh, so mm. they are one guy less, one serious person uh, less. The mm. director general of the Ministry of Finance. Mm -hmm. So every time I see, uh, and I think what will happen now is, is that they are. This is basically exposing them, and I think they are going to be. Uh, improvising more and more and making mistake after mistake after mistake much more rapidly right and that would be to uh, to them totally naked at some stage and and basically having to decide what to do and I think what will happen is it I'm afraid that it, it, the, the whole dialogue about banks and government and, and overspending etc will go because when all these shells are going to be uh, disappear, disappearing. Yeah. And the core of the problem today, which is uh, our poor national cohesion, national identity, uh, uh, you know, our inability to basically really know what we want, and the securitarian uh, uh, solutions that whoever is left uh, is going to be trying to apply uh, just like it has been applied in the Syrian regime. And, and so they cannot anymore cover themselves by uh, the, the very modernistic image of a, of a state that is appealing to the West and it's appealing. It's going to go into a Basist regime and we could see it. You could see now suddenly the you know, some ministers Talking about uh, only that because they have not. They, you, you don't have any more the sophistication. So, uh, so, so this is potentially a domino effect, but it, it might not reach the the healthy. It might not go somewhere it, positive at the start. It may actually no, go. No, it might take us to a dictatorship a la Syria, but but I doubt. I think it's not going to work. I'll end it with that because it's in a way showing that there's. 
there is the possibility that things are still going to get worse and we're not going to have a better Lebanon in the near future. It may take longer than all of us hope for. And if it does emerge one day, it'll emerge after a very, very difficult chapter. 1910, the, the year that you, that you uh, look back to, you know, four years later, was one of the worst eras of modern Lebanese history. I, uh, I, I, hope, I hope that I live long enough to see something good emerge in this country. I hope both of us live long enough to see something better. Uh, because at the moment, it's just, it, it's a very sad chapter in our country's history. But we, we need to believe, we need to believe this might be the opportunity to actually do something. And if we don't, obviously, it's a wasted opportunity. So if we say, you know, it's very sad what we're watching today, but for me, it's much a better, clear picture than what we have been enjoying for the last 20 years in Lebanon, which is a fake bubble yeah. based on nothing. You've got Lamborghinis sitting next to Cafe Metropole, and I don't know what, etc. And, and, and there's no economy behind. There's no, <laughs> there, there are nobody producing anything. Yeah. So what has happened is an opportunity, and it's important that we help people channel the, that energy and anger that they have to basically go back to where they started on the 17th of October. There's an unfinished business and that business needs to continue. Walid, well said. Thank you for a few things. You're staying awake. Now it's, we're approaching midnight your time. So you're very <laughs> kind. You're very kind to stay awake and talk to me. And for sharing a sort of a, a wider picture and maybe that's something that we should be doing regularly and maybe learning a bit from previous mistakes and appreciating the good the good even if it's going back to 1910 there are moments worth celebrating in our recent history and i really appreciate you dealing with me late at night after a very difficult day watching it's what's happening pleasure, and i'm very proud of what you're doing uh, knowing who you are who you represent who your father was it's quite impressive, uh, the path that you are taking. So keep on on this way. You're very so, kind. Okay. You're, very, you're very kind. You have uh, the Dalai Lama uh, behind you. <laughs> I keep him on the wall here. Sort of my way of sort of thinking about him in the background when I speak. Willie, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ronnie. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>